It's a privilege to be back with the Boulder Church again. Uh, the last time I was with you was in January of 2018 when, uh, uh, when I joined you to uh, participate in your series on Acts. And um, it was a blessing to study the book, uh, a book that uh, uh, honestly I gave, I've been giving short shrift uh, to in my lifetime of Bible study, but, uh, but I was blessed. And I was blessed with the time I got to spend with you uh, in, uh, in Boulder in January. If you remember, that Sabbath, it was actually like 60 degrees and sunny, and I was expecting snow drifts and, um, and blizzards uh, that day. So, um, uh, it, so yeah, I, I think about you guys often. Um, you have a great church community uh, in Boulder, and I still, uh, still think of you guys a lot. Uh, this morning, I am preaching to you from my home church, um, Sunnyside, uh, here in Portland, Oregon. And if you've been following current events, uh, you know that Portland has been a very interesting place the last three and a half months. Protests, riots, the last three weeks we've been having the most devastating forest fires in the state, and in the last week, the smoke from those fires has contaminated Portland's air to where we were the worst air quality in the world, above India and China. Um, it, I've, I've never seen anything like it. And in fact, um, when I mentioned the air quality index, um, our, um, uh, our, our, our doctor of knowledge of, of everything who's actually running the camera, Paul, uh, said that, uh, that it is the equivalent of smoking 20 packs of cigarettes. At the, at the air quality index that we are at. So <clears throat> we are all good today. We had a good rainstorm, and, um, and so we were clear, and I actually had my first walk this morning for the, for the first time in two weeks because of the clear air. But I, need to do, I, I do need to show you something. So, Paul, I'm, I'm actually going to come over here because um, if you know me and if you know uh, Pastor Mark Wittes, uh, my pastor here, uh, we're sock people. And today I am debuting a new pair of socks, uh, which are the most 2020 pair of socks ever. Paul, I don't know if you can get that. Dumpster fire socks. Just for you, Boulder. Debuting today, um, my 2020 dumpster fire socks. Uh, when Pastor Murdoch invited me to participate uh, in this series, uh, Justice, Mercy, and Humility, and how we as Adventists can participate in the political process, um, I was honored. Uh, this is something that is right in my wheelhouse. I am the junkiest of all political junkies. Uh, I watch all the Sunday morning news shows. Uh, I track political races from the, from the federal level down to the local level. Um, I watch C-SPAN for fun, okay? I mean, um, and for political junkies, there is nothing more exciting than a presidential election year. It is like Christmas and Armageddon rolled into one. But I have a couple of disclosures uh, to give you before uh, we get started. Uh, after all, I'm a lawyer, uh, and uh, the first is that uh, I'm a lawyer. Uh, I'm not a preacher. Um, this is uh, something that uh, I am just sharing with you uh, from my heart and through time of study and prayer. Disclosure number two, 
this actually is not the original message that I had prepared to give. I wrote this sermon, actually, about four hours ago while I was walking my dog this morning. Disclosure number three, you are watching this sermon on Sabbath, October 3, but I, at the time of my delivering this sermon, uh, we had just gotten news that Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg had died. And with the political environment in such upheaval, I can't imagine what kind of world we are going to be in by the time you watch this sermon. And with the turmoil over the nomination of a Supreme Court justice seat, um, I feel compelled to share from my heart today, and that's the sermon I will give. Um, our country and culture is divided, and more divisive as it's ever been, and incivility has crept into every facet of human life. It is, we've abandoned our basic practices of listening, kindness, understanding, and respect. And it manifests itself not only in our words, but, um, but in our tone and in our actions. Author Judith Martin, who is better known as Miss Manners, says, civility is the foundation of everything. How can we have respect, courtesy, and thoughtful dialogue if we don't have civility first? Now, let me just say up front that civility is not complacency. We are all thinking, sentient human beings uh, with thoughts, opinions, positions, values, and we defend them vigorously. But civility in the political process, or dare I say, even in the church context, speaks to how we do that. The passage that I have selected for today's discussion in Ephesians 4, Paul gives us the instructions of civility. As children of God, we are called to be civil, to exercise humility, gentleness, patience. And it's at that passage where we'll be camping out today. Let's start with prayer. Our Father in heaven, we just invite your presence here as we open this series on justice, mercy, and humility that you will speak through me and speak to our hearts this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So several years ago, a man named Adam Smith, who was the chief finance officer of a pharmaceutical company in Tucson, Arizona, drove up to the drive through of the Chick-fil-A It was during the time when Chick-fil-A, or the, the, the chief executive officer of Chick-fil-A, had made a public statement about his commitment to the definition of traditional marriage, that it be between uh, one man and one woman. 
this caused an uproar um, in American culture. And uh, people supported Chick-fil-A because of their position, and people opposed Chick-fil-A because of their position. Adam Smith drove up to the drive-thru to simply ask for a cup of water, which Chick-fil-A does, free of charge. He wasn't going to buy anything. When he drove up to the window, he was greeted by employee Rachel Elizabeth. And after he'd asked for his cup of water and she gave it to him, he began to berate her for the position that her employer had taken on marriage. He, he berated her and accused her of being evil and how could she live with herself and how could she be a part of an uh, evil corporation and that she, uh, she, can, you know, she can do what, well, you can imagine what he told her what she could do with herself. As, he, as Mr. Smith berated Rachel, she stood there Didn't get upset, didn't show really any emotion other than kindness and compassion. She said, sir, I'm just here to serve you. Is there anything else I can get you besides your cup of water? And after Mr. Smith berated her a bit more, she said, well, you know, thank you for coming, and he drove off. The thing that Mr. Smith did, though, is when he did have this encounter with Rachel at Chick-fil-A, he recorded himself on his cell phone, and when he got home, he uploaded it to YouTube, making his pronouncement and position known. He went to work the next morning, and when he came into the door, the receptionist greeted him with, Adam, what did you do? The phones are blowing up. Emails are blowing up. We're getting death threats. What did you do? Overnight, his confrontation video had gone viral. And now, he was suffering the pushback and aftermath of what he had done. An hour later, his CEO came in and said, Adam, we, 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 can't, we can't continue to hire you here. This, you, this just does not, this behavior does not represent what we represent. And for years after that, Adam Smith went, moved from Community to community to community, looking for work. One of those communities was here in Portland for a while. And that video followed him wherever he went to the point where he had to just disclose straight up, I'm the Chick-fil-A guy. I, it's, it's here, it's, it's viral, it's on YouTube, um, and it's going to be there forever. Adam Smith really never got a second chance 
at rebuilding his life. As I understand it, um, I, I actually did go for a hunt uh, to find Adam Smith because I, I had last heard he was here in Portland, um, but he has moved to Costa Rica uh, where he's uh, with his family uh, trying to rebuild his life. What has gotten in to us that we've become a litmus test society? on racial equality, gender equality, pay equity, LGBTQ rights, police brutality, blue life, black lives matter, blue lives matter, all lives matter. Incivility just tends to be all around us. Now division and partisanship is nothing new, but somewhere along the way our culture has abandoned civility where today it's I'm right, you're wrong, and then people are demeaned, devalued, derided, and ridiculed for who they are, what they believe, and just for doing their job. Politicians and celebrities are mutilated in effigy, in art and media. We've gotten bitter and angry. And not just bitter and angry with those that don't agree with us, we get bitter and angry for people who we think should be more bitter and angry than we are. As if being bitter and angry is some sort of metric that determines your stand on an issue. My friend um, Eric Dahl, um, we grew up together in Portland Adventist Elementary School, and um, in, play, in the playground, there is a um, monkey bar dome uh, of bars, and um, when you're in first grade, if you can climb up to the top, that's, you know, that's a big accomplishment. And, and so, as first graders, um, Eric and I, you know, would challenge each other to try to get to the top. And... Um, about maybe like towards the end of the school year, um, Eric finally made it to the top. And instead of celebrating getting to the top, Eric got to the top and looked down at me at the bottom and went, I made it up first. Nee, 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 nee. Isn't that what we've done to each other? That if we think we're right, or if we, if we are proven right, we taunt. 2007 saw the emergence of, of social media. And at the time, Facebook's slogan was, Facebook, a place to meet. It became the proverbial water cooler where, you know, people could banter and share pictures of vacations and babies and grandbabies and, and what a novel concept, right? The internet now is being used for social community connection. And here we are in 2020 and we can daily go on to social media and watch 
friendships and relationships dissolve in real time. If you voted for this candidate, if you believe in this policy, if you patronize this business, you're part of the problem. And then we've created this term, cancel culture, right? That if you believe in these things, you don't matter to me. Discussions dissolve into demeaning insults, and friendships are destroyed. Boulder, this is not what God has called us to be. The dictionary definition of civility is politeness and courtesy in behavior or speech. Politeness and courtesy in behavior, of, in behavior or speech. The origin of the word civility comes from the Latin civilis, meaning citizen or person, hence the term civilization. By its very origin, civility recognizes the inherent respect and dignity of the individual. We are civil just by being human beings. And from here, we derive the basic code of social interaction and how we treat each other. Now, how, how does the Bible define civility? Now, the Bible is full of instruction on how we are to treat and respect others. And I confess, um, I wrestled with which one to use. And um, the top contenders uh, were uh, Matthew 7, 12, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Uh, Matthew 22, 39, love thy neighbor, right? Uh, 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, love is patient, love is kind. Um, Isaiah 1, 18, come, let us reason together. Um, one of my favorites, uh, probably not the best one to use today, Proverbs 18.2, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. But today we settle on Ephesians 4. And I chose Ephesians not just for Paul's prescription for civility, but for, but for the historical background, because it's a lot like today. So, in Ephesians, there's a conflict that's developed between Christians and the artisans uh, in the temple. The issue? Idols. The artisans made their living selling the idols, their works of art, in the temple of Artemis. And the Christians were asserting their moral position against idolatry. You guys can't sell idols in the temple. This is wrong. Things got carried away and behavior became hostile. So from prison, Paul gets word of this conflict and he writes to the church in Ephesus and he uses some pretty strong language. And get this, he puts it in the term of a calling. As a prisoner of, a, of the Lord then, I urge you 
to live a life, or in the English Standard Version, walk in a manner worthy of the calling that you have received. Now let's stop right there. This is not ticky-tack advice. Paul is saying, come on, you guys. You're better than this. Because you have disagreements, because you have been called to something greater than yourself. In Greek, the word there is axios, meaning of equal weight. So when you are called, when you are given an assignment, there are guidelines and expectations to your calling. And the effort and the talent that you are given is equal to the task you have before you. When I was a student at Pacific Union College, um, I had the privilege of serving as um, president of the Student Association. And um, after the election, um, I, was, uh, I was meeting with the current Student Association president, and she said, um, has, has, Dr., has Dr. Maxwell had the talk with you yet? Uh, now, for those of you that remember, um, you know, the legendary Malcolm Maxwell was president of PUC at the time. And uh, I said, the, the talk? I, no, I haven't had the talk with Dr. Maxwell. And she said, he's going to have a talk with you. And of course, you know, I'm, I'm thinking worst case scenario, you know, does he have a secret dossier file on me? Am I going to get kicked out of school? Uh, you know, what, what's this talk going to be about? Sure enough, a couple days later, I get a call from the president's office um, asking to schedule an appointment to meet with Dr. Maxwell. The day of the appointment arrives, I go into Dr. Maxwell's office, uh, we sit down, and uh, after some chit-chat, um, he goes into the talk. And it's a talk that Dr. Maxwell had with every president of the student association, incoming president. And he said, you know, you have been elected to something pretty important. And by virtue of this position, you represent Pacific Union College wherever you go, whether on campus off campus, off the hill, St. Helena, San Francisco, Portland, Oregon, when you go home, you are Pacific Union College. And, he, and then he said, you know, he said, you know, as a president of the college, I, you know, I do represent the college, but you represent the students of the college. When, when people see you, hear you, see the way you interact, they are seeing the students of Pacific Union College. And then he brings out the phrase that I didn't realize where he got it until, until this passage. He said, live the life worthy of the calling that you've received. And I never forgot that talk. 
And this is what Paul is telling the church in Ephesus. Paul is having the talk. Be worthy of the calling. You see, when Paul knew that division and civility were infecting the church, it wasn't a good thing. If civility were left to fester, if incivility were left to fester, it would have a deep impact on the people and then therefore the mission of the church. Now, we may just think of incivility as just rude behavior, but its impact is deep and affect us, affects us both psychologically and physiologically. Um, Georgetown University business professor Christine Porath studied the effects of incivility um, on, oh, well, studied the effects of people that experienced incivility in the workplace and the results were astounding. People who directly experienced incivility made them less motivated. 66% cut back on work efforts. 80% lost time worrying about it. And 12% lost their jobs. Left, left their jobs. But her research revealed something deeper. That it also impacted people that witnessed incivility. They had a dramatic decrease in their productivity and in their self-morale. The high-tech company Cisco Systems did their own internal study on incivility and they estimated conservatively that incivility in their workplace was costing them $12 million a year. And it's not just people that experience incivility or witness it, or witness it. it's people that see words. To test this, Dr. Porath gave a group of people a combination of words in a sentence. Now, half the participants were given uh, words that, uh, that included trigger words um, of impoliteness. Impolitely, interrupt, obnoxious, bother. The other half didn't receive those words. They, re they received uh, either uh, positive affirming words or neutral words. Then they were asked to perform simple tasks, memory tests, simple uh, problem-solving computation tests. The people that read the negative trigger words were five times more likely to miss information that was right in front of them. It also took them longer to make decisions and record their actions. And they made significantly more errors. Incivility is a bug. It's contagious. And we become carriers just by being around it. It's COVID before COVID. And it isn't just confined to the workplace. We can catch this virus anywhere. At home, at school, at work, online, church, anywhere. It affects our, emotion, our emotions, our motivations, our ambitions, our performance, and how we treat others. 
So if mere words can have this kind of impact on ourselves and others, you wonder, are you a carrier of the virus? Or are you an inoculation? But then Paul gives us his instructions on civility. Going on, be completely humble, be gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Very similar to the characteristics of 1 Corinthians 13. But how do we put that into practice? Here's what, I, what I've broken it down to. First, humility. Now, humility isn't, I'm not worthy. If anything, that's false humility. Okay? Humility is the first basic step of civility. Humility acknowledges the existence and the humanity and dignity of the other person. That they are also a child of God. But it is also an acknowledgement that there is another perspective and that you could actually be wrong. It's pretty humbling. And some of you say, well, I can do that. Well, I'm going to go a step further. And some of you aren't going to like this. Humility requires that we, re that we view the other person as our moral and intellectual equal. Pause. I'll say that again. Humility requires us to acknowledge the other person as our moral and intellectual equal. If someone is not our equal, we can easily do two things. Number one, we can reject and discard them. But secondly, and probably most more commonly, it makes it easier for us to correct them. You're wrong. And by the way, let me tell you why. Never in the history of human discussion has condescension ever persuaded or added value to anything. Number one is humility. Number two, listen. We've got to get back to listening to each other. And I don't mean mindless, pass, passive, uh, I'm just waiting for you to stop talking kind of listening. And I mean active listening. Extending the respect of hearing another person's perspective. In 2010, um, and I mentioned this when I was at Boulder uh, two years ago, um, I was a candidate for the state legislature. Um, at the time, my son had just been born, and, um, and what I would do is I would uh, put uh, baby Reagan in the baby Bjorn, and as I went canvassing door-to-door, -door, meeting, meeting people, and handing out my literature, um, you know, he would, you know, he would be, the, be in the Bjorn and be a good conversation starter. Um, I went to every house 
didn't matter, you know, I, and I had a list of um, people, addresses, their, their voter registration affiliation, um, and uh, whether they were a frequent voter or an infrequent voter. You know, I, you know, I didn't care. I, was, you know, I wasn't just running to represent part of my community. I was running to represent all of my community. So I was just knocking on every door. Well, I came up to a house that, um, judging from the bumper stickers and the yard signs she had in her house, was not going to be a friendly voter, but I was going to go up to the house anyway. I knocked on the door, a uh, lady answered the door, and I introduced myself. Uh, I am Andre, I'm running for state representative in, in, in your district, and I'm just out meeting the voters. And she stood there and said, now that's just, that's just shameless. Exploiting your little baby like that for your own political ambitions. That's just terrible. How, how, how do you respond to something like that? And so I'm thinking, well, um, kind of come up with something humorous to just the way I kind of go. And I said, well, ma'am, actually, uh, this isn't my baby. I'm renting him for my political ambitions. Amazingly, she laughed. And from then on, we actually had a great doorstep conversation of the things that we agreed on. And even though I didn't have, I probably didn't get her vote, we established that we are both human beings, we are both, we are both citizens and residents of our communities, and we cared about our state, and we found out that we really did have more in common than we had differences. At the end of our conversation, she said, well, you have a beautiful baby, what's his name? And I said, well, his name is Reagan. And then she said, oh, no, oh, that's just terrible, oh. And, uh, and so anyway, we walked away, and Postscript, I actually did get a thank, you, a thank you note from her thanking me for having the fortitude to stop by and talk to her even knowing that she wasn't going to be a friendly voter. After listening is tone. This is what Paul means by gentleness. Sometimes incivility is not what we say, but how we say it. Being civil doesn't just mean that you're not being a jerk. Not holding, not holding someone down is not the same as lifting them up. True civility is just doing the small things. And then Paul concludes, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Now, on any topic, you will hear the weirdest, wackiest stuff. You will hear opinions and positions that you will not believe. And yes, you will be the target of incivility. But Paul concludes his instruction with this. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. It is our instinct to return fire with fire, to act in kind. How will we react when people are uncivil toward us? 
Being patient and bearing with one another in love is forbearance. It's trained. It's exercising the characteristics of our calling. Civility does not call us to be doormats. You can have strong opinions, disagree, have conflict, give negative, negative feedback, but yet do so civilly and with respect. In one month, this country is going to go to the polls to vote for the next president of the United States. We are going to see probably the biggest, greatest, most colossal levels of incivility our political discourse has ever seen. As human beings, as Christians, as children of God, I implore you, let's be worthy of the calling that we've received.